Welcome to Across the Street, your one-stop shop for all things inpatient medicine at the Durham VA, from faculty and staff who know it and love it just as much as you do. So my name is uh, Steve Choi. I'm a faculty member in gastroenterology at Duke University and and a gastroenterologist at the Durham VA Medical Center. I'm going to be talking today about one of my favorite topics in medicine, uh, one that I uh, really enjoy teaching, and that topic is decompensated cirrhosis. The topic of decompensated cirrhosis is a, it's certainly a very important one, um, and it's one that uh, was initially drew me uh, into becoming a gastroenterologist when I started as a resident here at Duke University many years ago. I, I find decompensated cirrhosis to be a very uh, interesting from a physiologic perspective and, and certainly wonderful t- for teaching perspectives. While not good for the patient, I find it to be an excellent uh, way to teach physiology, uh, pathophysiology to uh, the trainee. Decompensation of, of cirrhosis is, is certainly a critical event in the life of uh, any patient with chronic liver disease. It really is a point when patients demonstrate progression of disease from one of compensation uh, to that of decompensation, uh, as the name indicates. What is decompensation of cirrhosis? Well, that is typically uh, signified by one of three key events in the life of a patient with cirrhosis. That is the development of ascites, gastroesophageal variceal hemorrhage, or the development or end onset of hepatic encephalopathy. All three uh, events occur in individuals with cirrhosis who have been able to compensate for many, many years, but unfortunately due to an acute stressor, a decompensation event then occurs. This is significant because it does affect and impact the morbidity and certainly the mortality of, uh, of the cirrhotic patient. The cirrhotic patient who is well compensated will generally be asymptomatic and has a generally a very good uh, overall prognosis. Uh, of 50, uh, most data suggests that 50% survival in patients with decompensated cirrhosis can be up to 12 to 14 years. When decompensation occurs, unfortunately, life expectancy decreases significantly uh, down with 50% survival in two to four years. So it is a critical event uh, and, and, and certainly something, uh, an event that when this occurs uh, is often accompanied by hospitalization and, and where trainees uh, have an opportunity to make, a, to make a big difference in the patient's life while also hopefully uh, helping their own education. Since joining the faculty at Duke, I have uh, found it to be a fairly common event for, for many trainees and faculty as well to be uneasy and made uncomfortable by, by cirrhotic patients. I would say this is far from the truth. Uh, I think while these patients are quite uh, sick, they're a lot more hardy than they're often given credit for. And, and so the first approach really starts with trying to identify what uh, leads to the decompensation of, uh, of cirrhosis. Uh, this will then lead to really what I feel is a very good understanding uh, and an and approach to to study the physiology and, and pathophysiology of, uh, of cirrhosis and, and portal hypertension. First and foremost, what led to the decompensation? Well, let's take a step back and just think about cirrhosis in general. So cirrhosis basically is, is a process. It's not a disease in itself, but what cirrhosis is, it's a stage of disease, a stage of advanced scarring in the liver uh, from underlying chronic liver disease. Uh, most of us think of this as alcohol-related, but many different forms of chronic liver disease can ultimately lead to cirrhosis. The process to cirrhosis can be otherwise asymptomatic, and uh, it's 
not unexpected that maybe up to even 10% of patients learn that they have cirrhosis of the liver uh, from a decompensation event. So many, so these patients will often present to you unaware that they even had chronic liver disease. They may present then often to the emergency department to a, an acute care visit uh, with uh, a, one of these complications, the, the acute onset of abdominal uh, swelling, gastrointestinal hemorrhage, or a family member bringing them in saying, hey, my uh, family member here has been a little bit confused lately. Again, with the diagnosis of cirrhosis being uh, potentially uh, undiagnosed at that time, uh, the key step in this approach is to identify really what that inciting event, as I stated earlier. The key medical events to think about in this patient are certainly going to be infection, 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 infection is the thing that we would think uh, be most concerned about as a stressor that had led to uh, the development of, uh, of cirrhosis. Additionally, in, in the alcoholic cirrhotic, uh, we are going to want to think about uh, acute alcoholic hepatitis superimposed on a patient who has underlying advanced uh, liver disease, advanced liver fibrosis. Other issues that you are going to want to think about are certainly uh, the development of portal vein thrombus. As many uh, trainees are, are aware, patients with cirrhosis do ultimately develop portal hypertension, and this portal hypertension and, uh, and issues related to cirrhosis end up uh, causing patients to become uh, coagulopathic and certainly become at risk of developing portal vein thrombus. So the, the approach to this patient is to, again, to, to try to identify what is the inciting event that led to the, the progression of uh, cirrhosis. Uh, for the patient with ascites, uh, my personal favorite decompensation event, uh, this is, I would say, because we have, uh, as physicians, have the ability to make a big difference here. The ascites, obviously, is, is a new event uh, for patients. It can cause patients to feel uncomfortable, uh, but I would say this is uh, where we can make the biggest difference as, as healthcare providers. The, trying to identify cirrhosis, well, there, we do have to start with examining the ascites fluid. Uh, that really starts with uh, an analysis of the ascites fluid and, and comparing it with uh, the serum itself. So I think we all know to check the serum ascites to albumin gradient or the SAG, and, and a SAG greater than one usually indicates cirrhosis. But I do like to make sure that we are making sure that the patient has been assessed for other related conditions such as heart failure or end-stage renal disease or acute on chronic renal insufficiency that could have contributed to ascites. But once this is assessed, I think we can start from there and, and while we're while we're assessing ascites fluid, certainly an assessment of uh, of infection is important. A cell count uh, with a differential uh, should be examined uh, to screen for spontaneous bacterial peritonitis. As a low albumin, low protein ascites does uh, make patients susceptible to infection. Uh, the infection in the ascites fluid can certainly lead to uh, further compromise and can lead to a rapid deterioration uh, in, in in this patient population. Additionally, uh, identifying other factors uh, that could have contributed to this imaging is certainly important here. I think you can certainly start with an ultrasound, assessing the portal vein, and also assessing for malignancy. Patients with cirrhosis, uh, and depending on the type of what the etiology of the cirrhosis are going to be at higher risk of uh, hepatocellular carcinoma. Uh, these two factors, the thrombus malignancy, can also therefore increase the risk of development of, of the progression of the portal hypertension that can lead to the ascites. 
But ultimately, these are patients who, um, in my experience, once they develop ascites, once they get education about a low-sodium diet, once they are started on, on diuretic therapy, these are patients who, who don't truly recompensate, but these medical interventions can go a long way to making these patients appear as if they are compensated again. Patients uh, who have, in, in my experience, ascites uh, can go from being deathly afraid of needles to begging for, for needles and, and, and can be very grateful uh, for the approach and the time that uh, healthcare providers spent with them performing paracentesis. Ultimately, it, the goal is to try to get patients medically stable. In the cirrhotic patient who ends up, uh, despite efforts at strictly restricting dietary sodium intake and who is adherent to diuretic therapy, these are patients who end up developing refractory cites. Uh, refractory cites, uh, unfortunately, can and its onset uh, can certainly uh, signify another stage of progression uh, in this patient's disease and also signifies, a, an, again, an overall poorer prognosis in this population. These are patients who become dependent on large-volume paracentesis uh, for fluid control. But these are also patients who end up becoming very grateful for the time that uh, providers uh, spend with them during paracentesis. This becomes a time when patients make a decision to often consider transplant evaluation uh, as well. As you can see, uh, cirrhosis is, uh, and decompensation of cirrhosis, there's a lot, uh, there's certainly a lot to discuss. It is certainly a uh, medically important topic, and, and when decompensation occurs, again, it uh, signifies a progression, uh, a change in the prognosis in an individual with cirrhosis's life. The approach uh, medically is to certainly, again, to uh, look for the inciting event that led to the decompensation. But ideally, what this does is it gives us an opportunity to have it frank discussions with our patients uh, to discuss with them changes that they will need to make uh, to accommodate their disease. As I like to always say, is that in patients with cirrhosis, the disease does not change for them. So they will have to make some changes to accommodate the fact that they have uh, a progressive uh, and often progressive disease. From the perspective of the trainee, uh, cirrhosis and, and decompensation of cirrhosis are really fascinating and, and, and certainly opportunities for trainees to, to learn about the physiology of liver disease, to spend time with patients uh, educating patients, and then also with the paracentesis to, you know, for, uh, matter-of-factly uh, get hands-on experience with procedures. I, I think these are patients who we can make a big difference in if we just take the time to spend time with these patients to understand the physiology of the disease and, uh, and, and see how, how much these patients can improve uh, with dedicated effort uh, at education uh, of ourselves but, uh, and certainly of the patient. Now, I would like to finish by saying the views and opinions stated during this podcast are my own and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Department of Veterans Affairs or the Durham VA Hospital.